0: From Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio, I'm Gary Myers, and this is The Goat, Tom Brady. Episode 9, Spygate, The Schmuck, and Near Perfection. So, I was having dinner with Patriots owner Robert Kraft 10 years ago in a restaurant in suburban Boston. I was there to research my book, Coaching Confidential, and Kraft had employed three of the most high-profile coaches of this era. Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll, and his current coach, Bill Belichick. I figured Kraft's experiences with each of them would make for an interesting chapter. Kraft is one of my favorites and he's great talking on any subject, but in particular about the two people most responsible for the Patriots' success. Tom Brady, who he considers family, and Belichick, the genius coach constantly testing Kraft's patience like a misbehaved toddler by pushing the envelope Way too far. In four decades covering the NFL, I'd like to think I've come up with many memorable quotes from owners, GMs, coaches, and players, etc. But one stands out. That night at the restaurant, Kraft gave me a beauty. Here's the backstory Perfection in sports is the ultimate goal, but rarely achieved. The Patriots came so close in 2007. They were the first team in NFL history. To put together a 16 0 regular season, and they were within 35 seconds of finishing off a perfect 19 0 season and being remembered as the greatest team ever. But then the football stuck to the helmet of Giants wide receiver David Tyree and set up New York's winning touchdown in Super Bowl 42. But did the Patriots Super Bowl championships in 2001, 2003, and 2004 come with a big, bad asterisk because they were caught illegally taping opponents' defensive signals. And if the asterisk was to have a name, let's call it, um, Spygate. Before I discuss the impact of Belichick playing super sleuth, I want to take you back to the dinner with Kraft. He and I were talking about the humiliating moment when NFL security on a tip from the Jets coach Eric Mangini, a former Belichick assistant, caught a Patriots cameraman taping the Jets' defensive signals in the first half of the 2007 Patriots-Jets season opener at Giants Stadium. That was an NFL no-no for Belichick, punishable by five years of having to coach the New York Jets. That would be a good punishment, I think. NFL security confiscated the camera and we had ourselves a Spygate scandal. Belichick didn't think he was breaking any rules as long as the tape was not accumulating information to be used in that day's game, despite several league-wide emails warning teams not to do it. Belichick's surveillance was deployed to help match up the signals with the defense and then be implemented the next time the teams played. It was later revealed Belichick had been running the espionage ring all the way back to 2000, his first year in New England, And ESPN reported he spied on 40 games. Roger Goodell fined Belichick $500,000, the most ever for a coach. He fined the Patriots $250,000 and took away a first-round choice. Kraft was humiliated. I asked him at dinner what he said to Belichick when things finally settled down. Did he secretly discipline him? Did he capsize his boat in Nantucket? No, it was worse. He called him a schmuck. Two.
1: One. I
0: said you're a real schmuck. Just to repeat, Kraft asked Belichick on a scale of one to hundred how much the spying helped. Kraft asked me to guess what Belichick's answer was. I said two. Belichick said one. Kraft called him a real schmuck. Think about this. Kraft is a businessman with worldwide enterprises and is now estimated by Forbes to be worth $6.6 billion, ranked number 93 on the list of richest Americans. Belichick had already won three Super Bowls, was already considered the greatest coach in NFL history, and would later add three more Super Bowl titles in a five-year period. And here was Kraft telling Belichick he was a schmuck. It's priceless. It just doesn't get any better than that. I dare anybody to ever come up with a better quote. I wanted to leave the restaurant before Kraft realized the gem he had just handed me. But I'm just kidding. It would have been rude to slip out before dessert. To despise taint the Patriots' accomplishments, the Patriots won three Super Bowls before Belichick was caught. He won Super Bowls in 2014, 2016, and 2018 after he was caught. That's three before and three After. My opinion is the taping of the signals helped him more than just one on a scale of one to 100, or he wouldn't have been devoting a crew to do the taping and another to decode it. But was it responsible for helping the Patriots win any regular season or playoff games? Well, there is really no definitive answer. Only Belichick and perhaps Tom Brady know for sure. If anybody benefited from knowing what the defense was cooking up before the ball was snapped, it was Tom Brady. Imagine the advantage a quarterback would have if he received the information from the sideline and knew exactly what defense he was facing as he stepped to the line of scrimmage. It would be the same as something as ridiculous as if the Houston Astros batters knew what pitch was coming. All right, they did. Not surprisingly, Brady rejected the suggestion that he had a competitive advantage. Here's the conversation I had with Brady. Brady, I started by asking him if he thought the Patriots' first three Super Bowls were tarnished.
1: I don't think so, one bit. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. I know, even when we went through it, I didn't think about it. You know, our team, you know, being 17 and 0 that year was 18 and 0 before we lost the Giants. Really spoke for itself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, none of that had any influence to me on any game that we ever played. You know, it was a whole lot of nothing.
0: From my standpoint, but so of course... Yeah. So you don't feel you benefited from whatever he was trying to accomplish with the defensive signals or anything like
1: that? Not one bit. I mean, I'm a quarterback. I go up under center. I'm the one that makes every decision on the field. I mean, I didn't benefit from anything other than, you know, you go out there and you try to do the best you can do. You evaluate what the other team is doing, and you make a quick decision. It's you know, I don't think any of that ever ended up you know, factoring into any. Thing we ever did.
0: Halfway through the 2007 season, I was talking to Don Shule, the winningest coach in NFL history. The Patriots were 9-0 at the time after beating the undefeated, defending Super Bowl champion Colts in Indianapolis when Brady brought them from 10 points down with just under 10 minutes left by throwing two touchdown passes. Shule told me the Patriots deserved an asterisk if they were 19-0. Same, he said, as steroid-cheat Barry Bonds with the home run record. Shula's comments to me in my column created big headlines around the country. For some reason, the national media, led by Mike and Mike on the ESPN morning radio show, tried to cover up for Shula when they had him on as a guest the day my story appeared. Trust me, Shula said it. I taped the conversation. Don never once called me to complain or had one of his friends call me and say I misquoted him. Golik and Greenberg kept trying to convince Shula that he did not say what he clearly said to me. Shula then said on the radio that I proposed the asterisk, which simply is not true. Whatever. Shula didn't like Belichick and at that point was concerned the Patriots were going to match the 72 Dolphins with the only undefeated season. The Patriots, were caught spying in the first half of the first game in 2007, and presumably had stopped cheating after that, so their 16-0 regular season in 2007 should not get an asterisk. What impact it had on previous years was hard to say, but I always looked at it like this. If Belichick didn't think it was benefiting him, then he wouldn't have wasted his time. Belichick always looks for every edge he can get, and every minute of every day is outlined weeks in advance. Seems like a lot of work if the benefit was only one out of 100. Why would he be doing it if it didn't help? No reason at all. Unless, of course, he was a real schmuck. More of the GOAT, Tom Brady, coming up. Eric Mangini, the Jets coach, knew from his experience working for six years for Belichick in New England that not much was gained from taping the defensive signals of the opponents, but Eric decided before the 07 opener that he needed to protect his team. He got word to Belichick leading up to the game, hey buddy, not in my house. He alerted the Jets front office, which alerted Jets security, which alerted NFL security. The Patriots were caught late in the second quarter. That's when the spit hit the fan. Mangini once had a close relationship with Belichick. Belichick even read at Mangini's wedding. Mangini gave his son the middle name William. Now he had betrayed his old boss. At least that's how Belichick looked at it. And it destroyed their relationship. Mangini in recent years went on a damage control media tour and said he never expected or intended for this to escalate, as it did, and embarrass his old boss. He now regrets turning him in. Mangini told the New York Post a few years ago, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it to me personally. It wasn't worth it to the relationship. But just think of how much fun we would have been deprived of if there wasn't a Spygate scandal. Herm Edwards, who preceded Mangini as the Jets coach, knew what Belichick was doing all along and didn't care. He once waved and smiled at the Patriots' cameras during a game. He and Belichick were friends, and Edwards thought it was all a big joke. Colts coach Tony Dungy, Edwards' best friend in the NFL, felt entirely different. Dungy also knew what Belichick was doing even before he was caught. Dungy told me that his former tight end in Tampa, Dave Moore, heard about the spying when he played with former Patriots quarterback Drew Bledsoe in Buffalo. Dungy said Moore advised him to change the Colts' defensive signals in the 2003 AFC Championship game in New England. Dungy also became suspicious when the Patriots asked for extra sideline credentials when they played in Indianapolis. When I told Dungy that Belichick had told Kraft that he only benefited one out of 100, this is what Dungy told me.
1: And he's probably right, but one in a game, when it's close in the championship game, if you can get one signal or one time you know a blitz is coming or one play, that's all you need.
0: So Dungey was not buying that Belichick was compiling these tapes to sit back and watch with a popcorn and a cold soda.
1: It's like, why would you, you know, if you're an Olympic track athlete, why would you take steroids and take the chance? Because the difference between that much is the difference between a gold medal and fourth
0: place. Dungy clearly had no use for Belichick. A year ago, I saw Mike Martz, who was the coach of the Rams when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl following the 2001 season. The teams also played a few months earlier during the regular season in Foxborough when Belichick may have been taping the Rams' defensive signals and using the intel to help beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. So I asked Martz when he later studied the Super Bowl tape if he saw any evidence that the Patriots knew what defense was coming. He said he had no interest in finding out. I have so much great respect for, for what they've done. I don't care whether they cheat or not. It makes no difference to me. Because we control what we control. And we are certainly in position to win that game. Whether they did or not, who cares? I don't care. But I do know this. We turned the ball over three times. One was a pick
1: six. We don't do that. We win. That's it. So why would I cry and whine about it?
0: After Goodell handed out the discipline, he said he considered a suspension for Belichick But felt the fines and the loss of a first round pick were more significant, long lasting, and effective. Belichick issued a vanilla written statement apologizing, but he offered no detail. On the phone, Goodell told Belichick he expected a public apology the next day at his press conference. Belichick was asked a laundry list of spygate questions by the media the next day and was consistent in his answer. We're moving on to San Diego. That's what I'm addressing. All my energy is on the San Diego Chargers. He never said he was sorry for all to hear. Goodell was incensed. He later told me he immediately second-guessed himself for not suspending Belichick. After the season in February, Goodell sent league executives to New England to confiscate the tapes. For some reason, he ordered them destroyed and the corresponding notes that Belichick kept to be shredded. At the very least, he should have shipped him to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton and created a Spygate exhibit. A few months after the Super Bowl, at the NFL's annual meetings, which in 2008 took place in Palm Beach, Florida, Kraft stood up before the owners and gave an impassioned three-minute apology. Belichick then asked if he can have the floor. He insisted he was not aware he was breaking the rules and never took the information from the current game and applied it in that game. In any event, the owners passed a rule that had been voted down the previous two years and now allowed defensive coaches to send the signals through radio transmission to the helmet of a designated defensive player, not unlike the plays being relayed to the quarterback. That officially ended any chance of spying. After he was punished, Belichick took out his anger on the rest of the league for the final 15 games of the 2007 regular season. It was the best of all of Belichick's teams, which came in handy as he decided his revenge on the rest of the NFL would be to run up the score. Brady remained in blowout games. Belichick never had enough touchdowns. If a team didn't like it, he was basically saying, then just go ahead and try to stop us. Brady suffered minor collateral damage in Spygate, with his accomplishments scrutinized under the Spygate lens. But he mitigated that with one of the best seasons for quarterback in NFL history after the Patriots were caught. Here were the scores in the Patriots' first nine games after the Spygate scandal. They beat the Chargers 38-14, the Bills 38-7, the Bengals 34-13, the Browns 34-17, the Cowboys 48-27, the Dolphins 49-28, Washington, 52-7, humiliating Hall of Fame coach Joe Gibbs. The Colts, 24-20, and the Bills, 56-10. The Patriots became enemy number one. They were villains. They were also undefeated. By late in the season, the blowouts had stopped, even if the victories had not. Three of the last six victories going into the playoffs were, by just a field goal, including the 38-35 game against the Giants, in the final game of the season, which I told you about in the last episode. It was an incredible regular season for the Patriots. They were the first 16-0 team. Tom Brady broke Peyton Manning's record by throwing 50 touchdown passes. Randy Moss broke Jerry Rice's record with 23 touchdown catches. And Bill Belichick was the new 007, James Bond. We'll be right back with more of The Goat Tom Brady in just a moment. Now is on to the playoffs. The Patriots beat the Jaguars 31-20 in the divisional round and the Chargers 21-12 in the AFC Championship game to get to Super Bowl 42. Meanwhile, in the NFC, Tom Coughlin's plan to play the Patriots tough in the final game of the season to create momentum for the Giants going into January work to perfection. The Giants beat the Bucks in Tampa. They beat the number one seed Cowboys in Dallas. They beat the number two seed Packers in overtime at Lambeau Field on a day when the temperature kickoff was minus one and the wind chill was minus 23 degrees. Coughlin's face turned all shades of red. It took two weeks to defrost. I was in Green Bay that day, and it's incredible that a game was even played. The Giants were a much better team than when they played the Patriots five weeks earlier. The battle with New England gave them confidence they can play with anybody, even the undefeated and mighty Patriots, who they were now going to play in the Super Bowl. When Giants receiver Plexico Burris predicted a 23-17 victory for New York as the Giants got set to depart for Phoenix the week before the game, Tom Brady laughed. His team had just set the NFL record by scoring 589 points. That's an average of 34.6 per game. Remember, the Patriots scored 38 on the Giants just a few weeks earlier. Here was Brady reacting to Borris' prediction a few days before Super Bowl 42.
1: Plaxico's a hell of a player, and and if he feels that way, I mean, I think that's great. I'd hate for him to think that, you know, he's gonna lose this game. I mean, that's obvious, nobody does. 23-17. I wish he said like 45-42 or something like that. At least least he gave us a little more credit for scoring a few points.
0: Burris enjoyed the attention when he was surrounded by the media to explain why he went all Joe Namath on the Patriots. He has a deep voice and never raises it. He sounds, matter of fact, in just about everything he says. Here's Plexico.
1: We come here to win the game. Nobody wants to lose. We're going out here to play our tails off like we've been doing all year. Nobody's giving us a chance to win the game, so yeah. we're going to go out on the field and pound hearts out and the you know, ultimate goal of any player in this league is to win a world
0: championship. The media is starved for stories at the Super Bowl. Anything the least bit controversial or sexy can have a week-long shelf life. At the same time Boris was predicting victory, and he told me before the players even started that the Giants were going to get to the Super Bowl, the mayor of Boston had made plans for a Tuesday victory duck boat parade. I have to admit and I have the evidence to back it up that each week in the Daily News during the playoffs I predicted the Giants to win. I picked them to beat the Patriots 31-28 in the Super Bowl even though they were 14-point underdogs. Did I believe what I wrote? Sure did. Did my readers buy in? Probably not. I think it's safe to assume the only fans rooting for the evil cheating Patriots lived in the 6 New England states or were relatives of the players. And the coaches. The Giants played even better in the Super Bowl than they did against the Patriots on December 29th, when they lost by just three points and nearly ended the undefeated season right there. The defensive line of Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, and OCU Minura put constant pressure on Brady in the Super Bowl. Tuck moved inside on passing downs and came right up the middle, which is Brady's kryptonite. He was sacked five times. Tom was playing on a sprained ankle, just as he did in his first Super Bowl, and was less mobile than usual. In fact, Brady spent part of the off week following the conference championship game in New York, visiting future wife Giselle Bunchkin. He was spotted wearing a walking boot in Manhattan. He had injured his ankle in the conference title game, just as he did six years earlier in his first Super Bowl season. About 40 reporters and photographers were waiting for Brady when he returned from the East Village night spot at 4.30 in the morning. It's okay. It was the bye week. He can do what he wants. He declared they would have to carry him out on a stretcher to miss the Super Bowl. The game was intense, one of the best I've ever seen. Every play counted. The Giants' defense, just as Burris predicted, shut down the New England offense. But when Brady connected with Randy Moss on a six-yard touchdown pass... The Patriots had a 14-10 lead and were just two minutes and 42 seconds away from perfection. Strahan walked along the Giants' sidelines imploring the offense to believe the final score was going to be 17-14. It took one of the true miracle plays in NFL history to beat New England. The Giants had a third and five at their 44 with 1.15 left. Eli Manning was in the shotgun, but the pocket quickly collapsed. He was stuck in the middle of defensive lineman Richard Seymour and Jarvis Green and linebacker Adelius Thomas. Eli was never nimble, and all three Patriots were grabbing at him. Green got a hold of the bottom of Manning's jersey and was pulling it as Eli fought to work himself free. He was on the verge of being ruled in the grasp by referee Mike Carey, who came so close to blowing his whistle. Maybe he was giving Manning the benefit of the doubt to free himself up because it was the final minutes of the Super Bowl. Maybe it was because Manning managed to keep his feet moving. Brady was on the sidelines. Did he think Manning was in the grasp?
1: I mean it's a it's a judgment call. I mean, we obviously didn't have him. If we had him, you know, we'd had him. Yeah. So
0: yeah.
1: it was just once in a once in a lifetime plays. Yeah, really? You know, so you just say, you know what, that's the way it goes and well, there's plenty of other things we could have done to help ourselves. Yeah. You know, if it comes down to one of those plays, it does. But, you know, we, we still had a pretty good chance to beat him.
0: Eli backpedaled and rolled to his right and then committed the cardinal sin. He threw right down the middle of the field, the most vulnerable spot to be intercepted. Tyree was running a post pattern. Eli lofted it high, and Tyree had safety Rodney Harrison on his left. As Tyree grabbed the football, Harrison took a swipe and tried to knock it out of his hands. No luck. Tyree was a little-used receiver who made the team year after year because he was one of the best special teams players in the league. In the Friday practice two days before the game, he dropped just about every pass thrown to him. But not this time. He elevated and literally pinned the ball against his helmet. Was his helmet lined with Velcro? Is that against the rules? Velcro-gate? Tyree managed to crater the ball against his head and take it to the ground without losing control for a 32-yard gain to the Patriots' 24. For a brief moment, he had only his right hand on the ball. As soon as Tyree came down with that ball, the Giants knew they were going to win. I ran into Tyree at Eli Manning's retirement press conference this past January, and we reminisced about his incredible catch that destroyed the Patriots' undefeated season. Was there anything that you can remember that was going to your mind as you had the ball at the top of your head and you were falling backwards? Yeah, no, I,
1: I remember it vividly, man. I remember actually going up, feeling for the slightest second having two hands on the ball, but in my head I was I was preparing and bracing for contact where I wouldn't be open long. And it came immediately, and all I knew was from the moment it hit my hands, I had it, and I just wasn't letting it go. I didn't know it was on my helmet. I had no knowledge other than the fact that I got it. And I remember, as I'm falling back, to put my other hand back and secure the
0: ball. By the way, the helmet catch turned out to be the final catch of Tyree's career. Four plays later, Plexico Barris lost cornerback Ellis Hobbs on an inside-out move, and Manning lofted the ball to the left side of the end zone for the easiest touchdown pass of his career. Brady had one last chance. He got the ball at his 26 with 29 seconds left. He had all three of his timeouts. He threw an incompletion, was sacked for a 10-yard loss, and then couldn't connect on two long passes downfield to Moss. The Giants came streaming onto the field. Brady was stopped. The perfect season was now imperfect. To this day, the loss still haunts Tom Brady.
1: We had such a great team. Yeah. I mean, To me, the greatest team that's ever played in the NFL. I mean, we won so many games against the toughest competition that year by big margin. I mean, we had some of Wes Welker and Randy Moss mm-hmm. in the primes of their career at the same time. Uh, along with Jabari Gaffney, we had a good running game, a great offensive line, Rodney Harrison and Teddy Bruschi. I mean, Asante Samuel, we had incredible talent. I mean, we – our offense was so prolific. I mean, it was – it was an incredible year and then to lose we lost to a to a really good football team who played really well that particular right. day and you know it took some pretty great plays to beat us you know I I remember after the game like you know I was trying to think like man am I dreaming let me wake up mm-hmm. and then start the day over because yeah. I just didn't think you know, we could lose but you know that's that's what sports are all about
0: Don Shula no longer had a campaign for an asterisk. The 72 Dolphins popped the champagne. On the next episode of The GOAT, Tom Brady, Spygate was yesterday's news. We're on to Deflategate. Did Tom Brady order air to be taken out of the footballs before the 2014 AFC Championship game? And what did he say to Robert Kraft to convince him of his innocence? I'm Gary Myers, and thanks so much for listening. The Goat, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers, executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcasts, and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DiversionPods, And let us know what do you think of the show Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Diversion Podcasts.